Today on the Know Your Gear podcast, we're going to be talking to Ola Strandberg from Strandberg Guitars. And if you're not familiar with Strandberg Guitars, click the link down below in the description to watch my detailed deep dive review of everything you need to know about this guitar. And then watch Ola explain the entire history of the company and how he came up with all those amazing ideas. So one of the things I like to do on this podcast is I like to say the average Joe guitar player thinks they know your story. And the story <laughs> that you hear at NAMM shows or at guitar stores, right? That's where these stories get shared. And so I'm going to tell you the tidbit that I think I know, and then you can correct me and go on that way. The thing that I thought was most interesting about your story was uh, you started out like licensing out your design, right? Letting people build the neck, the Endura neck. Is that how it started? Mm, Not not quite. Uh, I mean, that's part of it, but it's, um, I wouldn't say that's that's how it started, but um <clears throat> I mean going going back a few steps, it started because I, I had had a long career in, in software that, that took me various jobs around the world. Um worked in um you know executive management roles as chief technology officer, technical director, uh, ran prototyping workshops, did tons of um customer meetings um presentations um leading roles um i just finished a couple of years working in california as um vp of product management for a software company and um it practically burnt me out it it was it was a very intense um period in my life and Uh, We moved back from California to Sweden, and um, I found myself in a job which was like, it was not not even 40 hours a week. It was something like 37.35 hours a week work time. And coming from like an 80 plus hour work week, I had like all these mental cycles to spare <laughs> right <laughs> i was also kind of burnt out so <clears throat> i mean it literally started as as just a, um i wanted to do something um like self-fulfilling fun hobby type project and i had i had built guitars in my youth a, a few so um I, I kind of looked back at that and, and thought well maybe i should just build myself another guitar so it literally started as I wanted to make one guitar for myself. And I kind of stumbled on like through a series of coincidences because I I was attracted to um, uh, like innovation and, and um, different kinds of guitars back in the day when I played. I, I had owned uh, a, a Steinberger copy, which I had taken the hardware off of and, and built myself a guitar. So that's kind of where I started that I wanted to build a guitar like that. And I discovered that there was no headless hardware to buy anywhere. So I stumbled on this community called buildingtheergonomicguitar.com. And um, that just appealed to me that they were trying to solve a problem, not, not just build guitars. Right. So I kind of made it my mission to to solve the problem of ergonomics in a way that I would like to own that guitar myself. And then 
in the software industry, it's very common to do what's called open source. So you basically, you, you, you construct your system, you write all your code and you make it available to the developer community to enhance. So people can, they can download it for free. They can um, uh, modify it, upload their modifications and improvements and, and share that with the world. So that was my idea to make my design open source. And um, this is called, in, in, instead of like copywriting your inventions, this this was usually is, is called copyleft because it's, it's like the total opposite. <laughs> so my idea was to, um, this, this was just a hobby project um, and I wasn't sitting on any answers. And I, I think this is probably where my journey is most different from the typical guitar builder. I, I came into this with no assumptions of knowing anything or, or thinking that I was any better than anyone else or that I had some truth um, that I wanted to realize. So I genuinely went into it with an open mind, not thinking that I knew anything. Um, and I was hoping that uh, the guitar builder community could participate in, in the design, like, like an open source project, and contribute their enhancements, etc. So, um, I mean, it, it, it kind of worked in, in a way, because a lot of people bought into it, and, and they liked the idea. Um, but my goal of getting actual improvements from the community, maybe not that much. Uh, I mean, the, I, I had collaboration with, or interactions with, with other builders. So definitely um, it was it was good. But I, I wouldn't say that the, this open source concept was, was fully realized. But anyway, that, that's how like that happened. Right. And then when... When I came up with the Endurnik, um, it had gotten to the point where I was thinking maybe this is actually, uh, I mean, maybe this whole guitar building thing has some potential for um, commercial success. And I had... I I actually can't remember if I was going to the NAM show or if it was some other exhibition. But I knew that in uh in Sweden you can um you can apply for a patent but not pay the fees. So you you would just apply the patent for the patent. And then you're allowed to say patent pending like when when you present your thing right so that that was my plan um i would just submit the application to be able to say endurnec patent pending uh, as as kind of a marketing thing but then you know the online application was was so easy just click 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 and enter your credit card number and before i know it i'd submitted the actual application uh, and part of my day job i had done 
uh, a lot of patent work. So um, I kind of, it was just another fun thing to do, to, to write the, the patent um, text. And um, yeah, that was a very long explanation to your answer. But no, perfect. anyway, um, I did debate a lot whether to like keep the open source thinking for Adernic versus protecting it through a patent. Um, eventually, I chose to do the latter, but that that was almost like an accident. Uh, again, just from this right. clicking through the patent filing wizard thing on on the Swedish patent website, so the, it was almost an accident. But at the same time, I, I had this idea that I, I think I'm onto something, uh, and I, I should probably protect it because um, th- this can become something from a commercial uh, standpoint. And then, um, yeah, I did. Uh, I did license it to to other builders um, for for a period of time. Obviously, the intern deck is super unique. I mean, that's that's we'll get to that. That's for sure. But. There's a ton of things in your guitar that are just, I can tell like you looked, you saw things, you said, just like Leo Fender did. You saw things, you said, these things work. I want to include these and then make your improvements, your twist on them in that concept of all that stuff I was saying, in that stuff that you've done, not your original design. What's the most, what's your favorite improvement to the guitar you've done or what change have you done to the guitar that you like the most since you did the initial design? Even like the Gibson Les Paul, that that was re- revolutionary when when it came, and and then I mean when Leo Fender came along, he wanted to, you know, make make it possible to mass produce, and he did all these things that were equally like, or probably even more revolutionary than than the Strandberg design, and and they did it for various reasons, and now you know. 50, 60, 70 years later, that's like the, the truth. That's what a guitar is. And then do not dare to deviate. So um, I, I, maybe people are forgetting that that those guitars were as revolutionary at the time, uh, or, or again, probably even more. I don't want to toot my horn too loudly here, but I I did look at, at them and, and Ned Steinberger as like my role models in, in coming up with, with all this and, and just approaching with, with an open mind. But yeah, then beyond like the initial design, what's the greatest improvement? I think, I mean, the, it, it's been a lot of small things and small improvements over, over the years. Uh, I do think in, in terms of like usability and, and um, something that really hits the customer is, is the latest hardware revision um, on, on the Bowden NX line. I think, um, I mean, coming up with, with like this, the saddle locking mechanism that doesn't require you to like have a separate locking nut and the, the, one piece string lock that hides the the string end so you don't accidentally poke yourself. Um, pretty happy with with those things. 
one of my favorite things exactly is the revision to the hardware. I love that you added the tool. I love the concept, the original hardware, but sometimes when you turn those things, I was like, oh, this is that last bit, just a little bit more. And you would work it a little bit. And your first instinct when you're doing dealing with that and you're explaining to the customer, because that's what I'd have to do. Like, hey, look, you know, we're at the point now where if you're gonna turn it, it's gonna get a little, a little, a little tough, right? Towards the end. Yeah. And you're so used to saying, and that's just the way it is to the customer, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you're gonna have to do this because that's just the way it is. And yeah. then it wasn't very long after that, all of a sudden you did the revision to the hardware. When I started out and um, I started making these guitars, there, there were some things that, um, I mean, they, they required a little more care and, and that was fine because my first customers, they knew everything about Strandberg. They'd followed my blog. They've, they've like studied every single build. They had like read my blog posts about the design process for the hardware, et cetera. So uh, I mean, those first like few hundred or a few thousand customers, they were uh, enthusiasts on the bleeding edge. They they wanted the latest thing, the the most like different thing. And to them, it it wasn't weird that you had to know you couldn't like over tighten the software or the string log because it would strip the wood. Because I mean, they, they'd read the blog article. They they knew why it was right. like. So obviously, as we become um, more and more widely spread, um, a lot of the players we hit now, they, they haven't done any research. They, they played their friends, so they saw their favorite artist, and, and they, they just go to our website and click buy, and, and, and they get it. So, I mean, we, we have to build in more robustness from from that perspective, we we can't expect people to like read my old blog posts um, and 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 know everything about the brand. It it, it should be obvious. So, um, and and I guess the benefit of also dealing direct with customers uh, in in like the direct sales model, with which we were among the first to to ever do in in the guitar business. But that's, I mean, the, the main benefit is, is to hear, to have the dialogue directly with, with the customer and, and, and hear the, the pain as, uh, as close to the source as possible and, and, and with, no, with no filters and no delays. Um, so we, we're in a much better position than, than many others to, to hear real customer feedback and, and then just have the mindset to, to constantly improve um it's not always as fast as i would have would like to but i understand it's it's faster than most one of your inspirations for the endura neck came from the lace twist neck well there's um there's a builder uh, a bass builder called jerome little who has a company called little guitar works and and he invented something called the torsal twist neck which is i mean the, the neck literally twists so as as you extend your arm up and down the neck, you, you can straighten your wrist uh, as you play the, the far end of the neck. And, and then uh, as you come closer, uh, it, it naturally rotates closer to your body. So he licensed that patent to Lace, 
who produced a model for a period of time called the Lace Helix. Um, and it worked uh, from an ergonomic perspective. But um, as a player, you could only bend downwards. So you, you, you'd have to, because if, if you tried to fret upwards, it would choke against the twisted neck. Okay. So, I mean, the, that's the biggest problem. So as, as a player, you would have to adjust your playing style. Yes, more ergonomic, but yeah, very restricted. And you, you could obviously never do bends on, on the high E string uh, because it, it would fall off the side of the neck. So that, that's the biggest problem. And then problem number two and three, they're more like manufacturing and, and, and maintenance related. Um, because again, going back to Leo Fender, and um, what he did was made sure his whatever he did was was possible to mass produce. And I guess one learning from like the Parkers of the world is if you have too many like proprietary solutions, it just becomes really complicated to um, to maintain and, and 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 keep up with producing spare parts and so on. So. Um, I could just imagine sending a, a, a twisted neck to a guitar tech somewhere or, or a repair person and say, can, can you fix this for me? And they would just say, no, I won't be touching that. So, uh, but I played one of these guitars and it worked. Um, so I wanted to accomplish the same thing, but with something that was more conventional, that, that a, a guitar tech would understand that, that a repair repair tech would, would be able to figure out and, and service and, and just have this um, and, and the end user would understand enough so they could adjust it. No, no like special skills or, or tools. Um, so I guess kind of what I did. So in, in the early days, I had some interactions with, with a guitar builder called Rick Toon. Um, and and he like popularized two two different neck profiles. One that he called the trapezoidal neck profile, which was just a symmetrical trapezoid, and another one which was like a um, cut off trapezoid uh, that, that he called the IPNP intersecting plane neck profile. So I'd messed around a little bit with those, and then. Um, I came up with this this idea of um, merging the the twisted thing with the uh, this trapezoid, and I realized that that I, I could kind of trick your mind or or your hand in, into experiencing very very similar thing as the twisted neck uh, by by then changing the the asymmetries of, of this the, the trapezoid um so yeah it, it the the idea did kind of come from seeing this this lace guitar um but it's actually the idea of of, of this germ little uh little guitar works we'll be right back 
Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. Now, when you designed that the the neck, did you draw it out first and then kind of start crafting it, or did you just start pr- making profile or uh, prototypes of necks? And I mean, how did you? Because it's it's not something intuitive when you see it. You know, mm-hmm. when you see it, I mean, well, it's one of those. Actually, back up. One of the one of the things that's funny is when you play it, you have an aha moment. Yeah, that's what I love about it. You either go, "Oh, I get this. This is for me," or you go. All right, this is not from my playing style, but I totally get this, right? It's yeah. it's it, it, so how did you how did you work it out because obviously like in hindsight now it's so easy like of course that's how it should be done, but yeah. how did yeah. you how did you get to there? Did you draw it out like I said, did you prototype? I had the idea and and then I I carved it out of styrofoam uh just to like sanity check and, and then at, at this time, I, I did have um, a small, de- like a desktop C or tabletop CNC uh, machine. I, I, I worked with with 3D CAD and modeling. So right. then um, it was pretty easy to to like model it in 3D and then then cut it on the CNC. So again, in, in styrofoam initially, uh, but but then um, I, I did like an actual neck in 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 wood that, that I tried. And um, yeah, it seemed pretty, it worked. (laughs) Well, it's, it's great that you did that. I, um, you know, I've been as, as a company in the eighties, they started actually using clay to kind of prototype. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and again, seems like, of course, everybody, I love it. This is everybody's like, of course they did. I'm like, what do you mean? Of course they did. Like no one thought of it for 40 years to just take, stop going down to the wood shop and building an entire, you know, pro- and then keep, you know, so I think it's ingenious, right? You're, you could work. I mean, styrofoam, right. It's faster. You can work the, the idea. Yeah. Out. Just a car- carpet knife and styrofoam. You, you can, you can accomplish a lot. <laughs> and, and what I love about that is, again, one of the things that's great about this is I think somebody's going to watch this. Hopefully some 19 year old kid is mm-hmm. going to watch this and go, I have styrofoam. I don't need woodworking tools and files. I can literally try an idea out, like you said, test it and then execute on that over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An- another thing that I think is interesting about the evolution of your guitars, I think the eventual move to have the bulk of them build in Indonesia. Indonesia is a really big adopter of CNC technology. And yeah. tight tolerances, you know, to putting machine tolerances on wood, you know, and mm-hmm. getting a consistent product out there. And let's be honest, uh, I can't say affordable. $2,500 is more obtainable than $6,000, $7,000 guitars, which is, let's face it, if yeah. these guitars are made in Sweden, USA, Germany, Japan, yeah. they they have yeah. to be in those price points, especially something yeah. unique like this, where your guitar can't be interchanged. You know, your your assembly line of guitars cannot be interchanged with what somebody else is doing with a traditional neck shape, traditional body. You have to have somebody who knows how to sand these edges, 
you know, the employees just can't, people don't understand that. They have no, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people obviously don't get the opportunities. I've visited 35 factories around the world. When you see factories, you see what the obstacle becomes for a company real fast. It's mm-hmm. not just yeah. like, oh, I can send a CAD file. Like, that's great. But yeah. how do you get the finished product to land like it would if you were there all day with it, you know? So if you, you don't mind, you don't have to go up any secrets or anything, but what, what prompted you to go, hey, look, I'm going to figure out how to make this basically more obtainable than it ever was before. One of the things that, that made it easier for, for me to like start to, to scale the brand was, was that, um, I mean, I have a technical background. I, I come from computer science. Uh, I didn't do it to make money or, or anything. I'm, I, I started doing this uh, to to challenge myself and to learn new things. So to learn to do 3D CAD was like, yeah, next fun thing to do. I mean, I learned bookkeeping. I learned how to build a website. I learned how to do product photography. All of this was because, yeah, I mean, to, to challenge my mind, aside from learning how to build a guitar. So I learned 3D CAD. I got a small um, CNC machine. I did all the mistakes you could humanly make on that CNC, um, you know, clamping things down and running the bit through the clamps. And I mean, if, if there's a mistake to be made, I, I had done it. But then, I mean, it, it was so much easier for me to go to someone that, that wanted to mass produce this with, with um, CNCs and, and have a discussion uh, regarding like how to accomplish it. Then, uh, you know, craftsmen who would do everything by hand and then had to explain to someone else how to mass produce it. That, that's that's a different thing entirely. And just as you said, a, a Strandberg is an entirely different animal than a conventional guitar. I mean, it, it's not just a matter of, of, you know, throwing some planks onto a CNC machine and, and cut a perimeter and, and, and you're done. Um, it, it's it's vastly different to make a Strandberg versus making uh, another guitar in, in terms of how much you do on a CNC and how much you do manually, and and, and just you know cutting the top from the rear and, and and the body from 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 the top, gluing them together, making it like a third guitar out of the two guitars you glued together, um, and so it's very different. And the really, I mean, the, the, the skills of building guitars, they, they kind of move around the world in, in this globalized world. And I would argue that uh, scaling up production from, I mean, the, our first serial production was at, at WMI, the World Music in, in Korea. We started making um, like twenty-five a month, um, which is kind of what the what the custom shop did previously, right. um, and then scaling that up to fifty, to seventy-five, to 100, 200, 250, 500. That's a major undertaking. I mean, this whatever company you work with, they're going to hire staff, they're going to have storage space, they're going to have machines. And um, just scaling this up, there aren't any places to do that. 
right really the, the, i mean the, the, there are not a lot of choices um and um having a speaking partner with uh, a mindset that wants to do something out of the ordinary um there aren't very many of those um out there either um i mean a lot of a lot of the factories that they're, they're out to make a quick buck and and make simple guitars and, and that 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 work or you make them the same way as any other guitar um it, it's just a different shape or new color set or whatever so um we actually i mean we we've looked around everywhere visited tons of different factories and, until we found one that that had the mindset and, and the desire to push the envelope and that, that were willing to um make the investments to uh, to take us on because it's it, it's more than just receiving the cad files and and press enter right um so yeah peter Corda have been really uh just an amazing uh, development partner um throughout the years and um really invested a lot in in processes and in, in people and and we've been part of part of that journey and, and and try to support that more than just um you know um customer supplier relationship but really you know build this more more as a partnership if you make a checklist of your guitar there's a lot of elements going on the multi-laminate neck the stainless steel yeah. frets. Obviously, I want to talk about. So this is a good segue in a second to talk about the. I want to talk about the use of the new using man-made materials for the fretboards, like phenolic resin type mm -hmm. fretboards and stuff. Again, it seems so easy. I mean, really, to be honest, we all know they kind of you fret them the same way. I've refretted a lot of them. They kind of work the same way. So let's talk about the the fretboard. What made you adopt that? I was excited about that. Ebony is kind of a pain to to work with. Uh, it's it, difficult to source. It, it's uh, um, becoming more and more rare. Uh, it, it cracks when it gets cold and dry, like it does here in Sweden uh, and, and the Scandinavian countries. Um, it, it's harder and harder to get like evenly colored black ebony, which is what people associate with ebony. So um, rather than jump through all those hoops, um, we really wanted to have like an alternative. Um, and the traditional wisdom, um, the traditional guitar builder wisdom is, uh, I mean, you, you you tap the wood and, and you check the tap tone and you want like a high high pitch, the higher, the better almost for, for a fretboard. And um, I definitely bought into that 100%. And when you pick up a piece of rich light cut to like a fretboard type width and, and you tap it, it's like tapping a piece of cardboard. Um, and I said that this is not an option. We, we have to find something else. And and, and there's like Bakelite and, and, and various other like man-made materials, but they didn't, they don't have like the, the sustainability and the environmental friendliness that we were also looking for. Um, so eventually, I mean, since a lot of other people have used Rich Light successfully, we, we just said, oh, let's prototype it, see how it goes. 
and the results were um it really surprised me i mean i i enjoy it more than a, a wooden fretboard uh, as as far as like my I wouldn't consider myself a musician. Um, nowadays, I just strum some chords and, and feel how the instrument vibrates against my body and against my playing hand. And, and like that tactile feedback loop and, and the sustain of the instrument. And I really liked how Rich Light behaved. So it that surprised me quite a bit, actually. So... I mean, it ticks sustainability, it ticks looks, and it ticks the most important box. It plays better. And it's not, a lot of people give us grief and, and think that it's, it, we make it made it cheaper. And it's not cheaper. It's more expensive than most woods. It, it's not more expensive than really dark ebony. Right. Because that's ridiculously expensive. Right. But it's way more expensive than the type of ebony that's commonly used in, say, reproduction of, of instruments. So it's all about like exactly like you said, everyone can can do one or even low volume manufacturing where we control every part of the sourcing. But when you buy stuff in, in bulk container loads for massive serial production. Um, it, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, the, the, you just can't, you can't source uh, the, the required quantities of, of certain species of wood in, um, in, in any uh, controllable way. Yeah. So um, yeah, it ticked a lot of boxes, but mo most importantly, the, the, the playability uh aspect i mean that that's what we would never compromise with i love that you were a skeptic at first i think that's again <laughs> it's i think that's justified i think ever all of us are skeptic at first right you get the piece of information or you try the new thing you know obviously the rich light they're putting them on acoustics now i mean if that's not the yeah. biggest test of if something's going to affect the sound it's going to be on an acoustic there's just no hiding mm -hmm. that right everything mm -hmm. on the acoustic matters there's no amp to hide it there's no tone you know no effects to hide it there's nothing to uh, uh, hide the sound you didn't switch because you still offer like in maple when you have your maple necks and stuff i do believe that guitars player are they want that x factor in, in an instrument uh they they like that unpredictability or I'm saying they, I should say we, uh, probably, but this is kind of what was holding me back from, from doing like an all synthetic or all man-made material guitar. Because that, I mean, as nice as that would be for us from, from a manufacturer perspective, we would know everything was consistent. It would always look the same, would play the same. But I think, I truly think that that's a manufacturer problem and, and we, we could solve it and that would be nice. But I think the, the player problem is they want the magical guitar and picking up three identical looking guitars and, and liking one more than the others. I think that's part of the like journey of, of sure. being inspired and, and creating music and, and just being one with the instrument. So I want to accomplish that. And, or I want to balance that with having something that's reasonably predictable to produce, but also kind of gives gives this magic to 
have something magic for every player. Here's a decision you made that, again, it's outside the norms of an industry that I obviously deal with day to day. Over the years, obviously, using Fluence pickups makes sense. Great pickups. All mm-hmm. of the pickups you know that you've chosen over the years, great pickups. It's not about that. I noticed you started putting Sir pickups in your guitars. That is definitely not industry norm. You would never mm-hmm. see Fender putting a Sir pickup in their guitar. You would never see Paul Reed Smith putting a Gibson pickup in his guitar. Like <laughs> There is very... By definition of what you did, you're acknowledging a different guitar company makes a quality product. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Not an aftermarket mm-hmm. company like DiMarzio or Duncan or Fishman, right? A competitor. Uh, well, I mean, John Sir himself has said that he, he wouldn't have a company if Fender had their act together. Uh, I mean, he's, he's he's made his living off perfecting other people's designs. He, he, he doesn't necessarily... I mean, he he'll analyze what works and what doesn't work and then he'll perfect it and and just apply his his analytical mind to how to make it better and how to make it consistent and um we actually have a great relationship with sir because ed ed who runs the the u.s operations um he used to work for sir so he he knows john sir very well and I've, i've met him many times so i mean we we knew that um, they're objectively great pickups and, and very consistent. They, they do what it says on the box. And, and we had a very good relationship with them. Um, and I've, I, honestly, I've, I've never thought of it from the perspective that, that you just mentioned. Um, I, I, I guess one could see it like that, um, that we're acknowledging a competitor, but at the same time, um, I don't think that they're, no, they're, no they're, they're not a competitor. They're, they're, they're another great player or great industry player that I have massive respect of. Um, so it's, it's like the, um, the, the best tool for the job uh, for for what we for what we needed and and it was something that um, we had great confidence in that that it would um, that it would work over time and and we we've, we've gone through some iterations with like the original the the first ever Stramberg design had the lace alumitone pickups right um and i chose them because they are super lightweight i mean they they weigh like a, yeah, a, a, a fifth or a quarter of a conventional guitar pickup and they look very you know futuristic and cool so they 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 just fit the strammer concept in in the early days but when you start scaling up and, and the people you meet, they haven't read your blog and the, they don't know what's going on. To them, it's just a weird looking pickup. And every conversation was about, you had to justify the choices. Uh, oh, I chose this because, and, and then, well, oh, but I, I don't like it. It looks weird. It sounds strange. So there was way too much of that, like diverting people's attention from the guitar. Um, so I think like going 
going with Sir and or uh, I'd say switching back to more conventional pickup choices was just a way of of bringing the conversation back on topic. Is is this the guitar that does what you need it to? Uh, not that oh, it has a weird looking pickup or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Well, they they definitely yes, they brought out the that conversation uh has no as you know nothing to do with your guitar aluminum tones when they came out i mean that's definitely a forward thinking again another mm -hmm. yeah we're thinking yeah so i mean on it, it, to go back to what what's on brand i mean lace aluminum tones they would be on brand to right. to to use but it it, it just takes some things it, it's like a trade-off you, you have to choose your battles so to speak and and um yeah, the Lace Lumitum battle was one we we shied away from because we just have to do too much explaining uh, back in the day. So, and 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 that's the other thing. Um, I mean, it's so easy to change to to swap out the pickups. It doesn't cost very much. It right. it's something you can acquire the skills to do yourself. Yep. So, I don't want. We just want to ship with a, a great product that works. Um, but then swap out the pickups if you don't like them. I know it's like it's tough to answer all the crazy kind of questions. Yeah, like, no, no worries. No worries at all. It's it's been a pleasure so far. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> worry about that. Yeah. Well that that's the thing. I mean, we we're in such a different place than than many others. And and we're building evolution and innovation into the brand proposition, so to speak. So I mean, the guitars look the way they look instead of like UFOs because I wanted a, a, a ergonomic guitar that that has very traditional references and and that still like makes sense in the mind of what is the guitar, what 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 should it look like. Sure. So we we try to balance tradition in in terms of material choices, in in terms of understanding. So um, I mean, a, a guitar tech has to understand what what they're looking at a player has to like has to be reasonably familiar um but at the same time we're not held back by having to do it the way it used to be done uh we're free to and i, I would argue we're probably expected to come up with new solutions uh and and and, and that's why i love by um working with with these things we're, we're not held back by or being forced to to comply with with tradition and uh, you've done it this is uh uh we we know we're not we're, we're not done yet either well no but here's here's the here's the thing i know yeah but here's when i say when you've done it i would say in the modern era i would say in the, this last decade the last 10 years your product has to be the most well accepted modernized product I've seen. I can tell you that it probably doesn't feel that way to you. I'm sure. <laughs> right? I'm sure every day, because like you said, you you guys interact with the customers, and I'm sure Parker fought that fight to the last day. You know, mm -hmm. Modulus fought that fight, and at some point, you you think in your head, you're like, well, something's got to eventually be like the Strat, right? Like, it's this thing that they it was new. It wasn't a Tele. It wasn't this other thing. Everybody yeah. should, should have had a reaction to it, right? The robo tuners, 
from Gibson, right? Mm -hmm. Technology puts out itself, right? Uh, Tronicle, I think, did that. And I love the Tronicle guys. I love the concept of that. Mm -hmm. The execution Gibson did, I'm not too big a fan of. But Mm -hmm. the concept of those tuning systems, you know, has a lot of merit. And let's just be honest, the guitar communities, they snuffed it out. They dumped it out like a fire. That fire is, again, not the Tronicle guys, but like Parker, right? Mm -hmm. And- I'm like I said, it probably doesn't feel that way to you because you you do have to deal with this daily and move your brand forward. But as a person who does this daily, I could tell you, you've moved that needle further than I've seen anyone else move a needle in the minds of guitar players. Not even so much in the sales of your guitars, but in the minds, the acceptance. You you radically changed the guitar neck. You radically changed. I mean, to say your guitar is headless, that's my big pet peeve, by the way. To say your guitar is a headless guitar, and that's the description of it, is the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of headless guitars. And the concept of headless guitars is really cool. But that's not what your guitar is. It -hmm. just happens to be headless. Because that's, that's, to me, your guitar being headless is no different than your guitar being fan fret or steel, our Mm -hmm. our multi-laminate neck or, right? Or it's, um, it's, 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 it's a means to an end. To, right to accomplish great balance with low weight it has to be headless and and yeah yeah so uh like i said i really appreciate you coming on the podcast i think it's fun to see how your mind works and, and get some backstory on the guitar company as well to let everybody know i think this is the end of your day right <laughs> we're in different time zones right so this yeah. is the end yeah 6 p.m over here so thank you for doing a long work day and then ending it with this <laughs> my pleasure Uh, all right guys everyone i want to thank you guys for joining us as always i want to thank you for your time and until the next time uh know your gear